Welcome to the WPC Sermon Podcast from Westminster Presbyterian Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. This week's sermon is from Head Pastor Owen Stepp, titled, Inviting People to Life in Christ, and tells us of the importance of not only being a welcoming church, but being an inviting church as well. To find more information on our worship services and live stream, check out our website, westminstercharlotte.org. Now enjoy this week's message from Pastor Owen. Our scripture from this morning comes from the book of John, chapter 10, verses 10 through 18. And now the word of the Lord. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand who is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and runs away. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. The hired hand runs away because the hired hand does not care for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that do not belong to this fold, and I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life in order to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have the power to lay it down, and I have the power to take it up again. I have received this command from my Father. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We've had a a really great season with the session over the last several months as we've gathered together. One of the things that we have come to understand is that while we are back here in the sanctuary and in person and having some of those emergences of of normal life coming through. So many things have changed over the course of the past years. So many things have been disrupted. And while many of those might come back to something resembling what they were pre-COVID, many more of those will not. Life has changed. What has not changed? The gospel of Jesus Christ the good news that Jesus Christ came to save sinners. What has not changed? The Word of God is our only trustworthy, reliable guide for life. It is God's very revelation to us of who God is and who He's calling us to be. But as we chart our way forward, our elders uh, met on a Saturday for a retreat and have talked over since. What is the vision that God has given us? for the next chapter of life for Westminster Presbyterian Church? What is it that God is calling us to be and to do, holding on and building on the strong foundation that we have, but growing in new ways that we've not yet experienced here? We met on that Saturday morning and we opened our hands and said, God, we want to receive it from you. We don't want to come up with our best idea. We want God, you, to reveal, because it's your church, it's not ours. And so as we came together and worked through and sifted through questions and thoughts and conversations and study and prayer, we came with a simple kind of threefold vision statement of who we believe God is calling us to be in this next season of ministry. Inviting people to life in Christ, live together, for the sake of others. Inviting people to life in Christ, live together for the sake of others. 
And so for the next few weeks, I'm going to be walking through these three phrases a little bit to try to unpack them a little bit, to try to understand them at a deeper level of what it means in terms of the gospel for us to have these as values going forward, but also what it might mean for us as individual followers of Jesus and for the family of God at Westminster as well to embrace this as God's vision for us by the power of the Holy Spirit going forward. We're going to keep God at the center of everything, obviously. We're going to build on the foundation of the authority of Scripture in our lives, and we're going to ask God how He wants us to grow in new ways, to change in this world that is changing around us with a gospel that never changes. How can we address God's mission in this world? So for this week, thinking about the, the-, the phrase, inviting people to life in Christ, I really want to highlight two words from that. One is inviting and one is life. Inviting and life. Robert Moss is a Lutheran pastor who I think intentionally uh, put together a blog post that he entitled, We Will No Longer Be a Welcoming Church. In his blog, he goes on to contrast the difference between welcoming and inviting. The difference between welcoming and inviting. Can you, can you think of that for a second? Because many people, if they were describing their church in a very well-meaning and positive way, would say, well, we're a very welcoming church, whether they are or not, right? I mean, welcoming is nice. It's polite. It's Southern. It's genteel. I mean, if someone were to come, a guest were to come to our homes or to our church, we should have them feel welcome. We should welcome them ourselves. But honestly, would you answer the question, it's not really a high bar, is it? It's not really setting the goal out there too far to say people don't feel rejected when they come. It's kind of like my friends and I used to describe the lazy outfielder who just plays the balls that come to him, but if it gets in the gap or past him, it's gone. To become people who invite means to actively engage with the mission of God and what God is up to seeking to bring his lost children home. Reverend Moss wrote, inviting is different. That means we leave the comfort of our congregational home field advantage. The main activity doesn't happen in our worship space when people drop by, but in the neighborhood when we go out. It isn't so much welcoming them into our place, but going out into their place and meeting them there. He goes on, even this warrants a significant caveat. This is not another gimmick just to bolster our roles and get more people into church. It goes much deeper than that. It starts with who God has called the church to be. It involves discovering our gifts and our purpose and mandates joining God at work in this world. This isn't about getting the world into the church. It's about getting the church into God's world. Do you sense that shift? The shift from being welcoming of whoever arrives to inviting those who have no desire to be here, maybe. 
I believe this shift is important. This shift from welcoming to inviting embodies the truth that the church is not a place where the church is a people who. And too often we miss that, and Daryl Gooder and others uh, have talked about this in their work on being a missional church. That in our minds, we think of the church as the place where you go to get whatever, to get worship, to get music, to get taught, to get the baby baptized, right? But the church is not, in Scripture, not a building. The church is not a place where it's a people who. People who are joined in the mission of God, who are called His children and His ambassadors of reconciliation in the world. Christian faith does not see a Jesus who called people and invited them to come be pew potatoes. You're familiar with pew potatoes. They're the first cousins of couch potatoes, but in church, God invites people to join His mission in the world, not to just come and plop wherever we might be. It's always been about the invitation. Ever since the time that Jesus called those disciples to come and follow me, and then they in turn went and called others and invited them to come and to follow Jesus with them as well. We hear the Apostle Paul in the New Testament saying, follow me as I follow Christ. It's an active engagement of invitation. Now the truth is that most of us here today at Westminster Church, whether you are here in the room or online, you are with us because someone sometime invited you. If we are like almost every other congregation in the world, that's the reason. Someone at some time invited you to come to this particular body. But at an even deeper level, most of us, if not all of us, are members of the family of God because someone invited us to know the Lord Jesus Christ who they knew. The invitation is always at the heart of what it means to be part of God's family. And so we embrace the shift and the movement from just being a welcoming congregation. We will still be welcoming, but we're raising the bar to join the very mission of Jesus, calling God's children home and inviting them to be part of his family. Inviting. Inviting people to life in Christ. Life. My friend Rankin Wilburn has written a book called The Cross Before Me, and the subtitle is Reimagining the Way to the Good Life. Rankin's introduction to the book reflects on a 2018 class that was offered at Yale on happiness called Psychology and the Good Life. The extraordinary thing about the class is that 1,200 students wanted to enroll for it fully one quarter of the student body at Yale. The course has never been offered since because it disrupted every other class that was offered that semester. A similar class offered at Harvard a couple of years later, or a couple of years before, had drawn 900 students, a record for any course offering at Harvard. 
Why are some of the brightest, most high-achieving students in America beating down the doors for a class like that? A class that asks the question, what is the good life and how do you get there? Rankin goes on to tell the story from another venue, story of a 60 Minutes interview with Tom Brady, then of the New England Patriots. At that point, he had just won his third Super Bowl. He's now won seven, as painful as that is for some of us. Widely, he's considered to be among the greatest quarterbacks of all time. But after his third Super Bowl, he sat down with Steve Croft for an interview. And as he was reflecting on it, he said, why do I have three Super Bowl rings and still think there is something greater out there for me? I mean, maybe a lot of people would think, this is it. I've achieved my goals, my dreams, my life. But me, I think it's got to be more than this. I mean, this isn't, it can't be all that it's cracked up to be. The interviewer interrupted the ensuing silence and asked, what is the answer? And Brady simply replied, I don't know. I don't know. I wish I knew. There are people out there for most of us that we look at what they have or what they have achieved or who they know or who they have become and we think, man, if I just had what she has, if I just looked like him, if I just had the success that they have had, that would be the life, right? But for us as Christians, as believers in Jesus, there is a whole alternative in the invitation that he gives us. When we ask the question, what is real life? What is truly living? Everybody is trying to come up to an answer with that. That is sort of the quest of the human existence. It's one of the things that separates us from the animals. We try to make sense of things. We try to have a meaningful life and to create that with our days on earth. Some of us try to do that with athletics, and boy, is winning fun, right? Some of us try to do it with our grades to achieve the highest status that we can, to get into that college that we're looking for, to make our parents proud. Some of us do it with our job or just trying to have the perfect family. But we are all trying to answer the same questions. What am I doing here? And what is the good life after all? I think this is the beginning of the secret to the life to which Jesus invites us. We are created with these massive questions because we are created in his image. It begins with the seed of a relationship with God and Christ. And when Jesus was talking here in John chapter 10, he was describing who he is as the good shepherd and what he came to do. And he sets his own ministry and life and mission in contrast to the thief. The thief comes to steal and kill and destroy, he says, in the hired hands. They run away at the first sign of danger or trouble. But Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I came to give my life for the sheep, real, abundant life. I offer them. So what is life he offers? 
There are two or more pieces of this. It's a great mystery of the New Testament when we talk about Paul writing phrases like, our life is hidden with Christ in God. What does that even mean? But I think there are a few tangible pieces that we can lift out today as we think about what it means to invite people to life in Christ. The first part of the answer, I believe, to the life that Jesus invites us to is eternal life. It's not a small deal. To know that this flesh and blood life that we walk on this earth is not all there is, but they were created for more with eternal souls that will never die. The offer of life from Jesus is that when we die, as surely we all shall, He will deliver us to heaven with our, where our Father is, where there is no more sighing, sorrow or crying or sickness. And isn't that good news? Isn't it good to know that the pain and the suffering and the lostness and the brokenness of this world are not the final chapter? but that God has a restoration of all things in mind and in his plan for us. We have hope because we believe in that God. In the absence of belief in that God, what is the alternative? Maybe atheism. Some of you are familiar with Richard Dawkins, a very shining light in the world of atheism today. You may have read his book, The God Delusion. But in another, another work called The River from Eden, he wrote this, in a universe of electrons and selfish genes, blind physical forces and genetic replication, some people are going to get hurt, other people are going to get lucky, and you won't find any rhyme or reason in it, nor any justice. The universe that we observe has precisely the properties we should expect if there is at bottom no design, no purpose, no evil, no good, nothing but pitiless indifference. Sounds great, doesn't it? Real life. It's little wonder that as we wander further from God as a people, that our rates of depression are skyrocketing as well as drug abuse and political idolatry. If this world is all that there is and there truly is no God, much less the God of Jesus Christ, we are left with the physical forces and pitiless indifference from the universe. No justice, no meaning, no right or wrong, no hope. And mind you, this is not from a critic of that worldview. This is one who is an advocate of that worldview. But Jesus makes this outrageous claim that he came to, gave us, to give us life. That this life is not the end of the road. That there is life in this flesh and blood that only poorly represents where we shall ultimately be. So that is the first part of his invitation. Our very eternal salvation in life is the invitation. Second part of the invitation, I believe, is more about this, the here and now today. Because this flesh and blood life has more to offer than we have experienced to this point. And Jesus came to give that life abundantly. 
Not just more of what we already have, but a transformative existence to the life for which God created us. He promises abundant life. And that word, abundant, can also be translated excessively. Excessive life. Now, when we think of excessive life, generally, it's not a real positive connotation, right? If someone were to live an excessive life. But if Jesus has something entirely different in mind than we normally do, if he wants to give the abundance, the excess of what God created us to be, well, that's something we should pay attention to. Jesus came to give life and to give it excessively. As Paul prays for the Ephesians, Jesus wants to give us life that is abundantly more than we could ever ask or imagine. Have you experienced that life? I think this text implies that the life Jesus wants to give to us, the life that Jesus invites us into in himself, is the contrast with the thief. The thief who comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And so in contrast to those words, what is the life to which Jesus invites us? If he's not the thief, if he doesn't steal, what is the life that he gives? Giving, generosity. Just as Jesus gives life, those who receive that life become givers as well because of what they receive from him. We become generous because God has been generous with us. Have you ever known, let me ask you this, have you ever known a really selfish person, person who never has enough of anything, but very selfish person who's ever been happy? Like genuinely happy. But that's exactly what we're told by the world around us is who we're supposed to be. To buy everything, everything we can, experience everything we can, consume everything we want, indulge ourselves in every pleasure we can imagine. But at the end of the day, that selfishness isolates us and brings us not the good life, but misery. By contrast, have you ever known a really generous person who was miserable? Life. Part, one aspect, one facet of life is the generosity. When we we really understand that we have received grace, unmerited favor from God, And that then flows through us to others in our life in him. That's life. That's a foundational understanding of what it means to be one of Christ's disciples. People who are generous find that truth that Jesus taught, it is more blessed to give than to receive because that generosity is a reflection of the image of God with which we are imprinted. There's a joy in blessing others, and it is because that is how God created us. These connections that we have in this life are for the purpose of giving to one another, of being generous with one another. Life in Christ means to give as we have first received from Jesus. The second contrast is with killing. The contrast of killing is healing. The excessive life that Jesus has for us is healing for our bodies and our souls. Has anyone known the healing of Jesus in their lives? 
Have you experienced the healer by the power of the Holy Spirit? We all do. We all need healing from the chips that life inevitably takes out of us along the way. We all need healing from the fractures that this world causes, from the broken relationships that let us down, from the bad decisions that make us fall apart, from the loneliness, the anxiety, the emptiness, the life that Jesus promises is healing as only our good Father and Creator can do, the one who knit us together from the very beginning. He is the one who knows how to put us back together in the first place when everything of our lives seems to have hopelessly fallen apart. He knows how they go back together. And he is faithful to give us that in Christ. That's what healing looks like. And the beauty of this healing, again, just like giving, is that when we receive that healing, we experience that healing grace of God in our lives, it then, as the life in Christ flows through us to others, and we are then to, enabled to be instruments of God's healing because he's already healed us. In 2 Corinthians, Paul writes that the God of all consolation consoles us in our affliction so that we may be able to console any who are in affliction with the consolation which we ourselves have received and been consoled by God. This is the abundant life that Christ promises, inviting others to the healing that we have first received in him. Inviting people to receive a life of giving and a life of healing. And finally, whereas the thief comes to destroy, life in Christ is about creation. Creating and making all things new. That's what Christ is about in this life. He makes all things new. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5, from now on, therefore, we regard no one from a human point of view, even though we once viewed Christ in that way, we know him that way no longer. So if anyone is in Christ, there is new creation. Everything old is passed away. See, all things are being made new. God is in the business of making things new, of creating those new things for all of creation, for our lives individually, for the human race together, and for indeed all of God's creation to be redeemed. Creation is at the heart of what it means to be, to have life in Christ. What does that mean but that the life of Christ gives us a transformation of our eyes as we read there in 2 Corinthians 5, so we don't see each other as the world sees one another, but we see one another as God sees them through transformed eyes. Part of the creation of God, part of the beautiful, magnificent creation of God is God creating his family. From every tribe and tongue and nation, from every background and education level and socioeconomic level, that we see no longer those who are separated, but those who are brought together. Why? Because he first loved us. When we embrace the truth 
that Jesus came to demonstrate the creating love of God, we are become dispensers of that as well and ambassadors of it, as Paul writes. The life that Jesus gives is the creation of the family of God, making us brothers and sisters by the Holy Spirit's power. We can call one another brother and sister, whether we agree with one another on everything or not, because our great Father is the one who has given us that title together. Life in Christ is giving. Life in Christ is healing. Life in Christ is creating and being a part of God's work to make all things new. Now, as a church, this is a shift for us in some ways. In some ways, it's not. We're still standing on the eternal truth of the gospel of Jesus. But to shift from being simply those who welcome to those who invite as well is important, but there's a really important question we have to ask first before we can invite people to life in Christ. The question is this, have we experienced life in Christ? Have we found the healing of Jesus? Have we found the generosity of Christ? Have we found the new creation of God in our lives? You can't invite somebody to something you haven't experienced yourself. When I went to work at Prudential, my mentor the first day said to me, you are going to be your first client and you're going to buy every one of the products that you're ever going to try to sell anyone in a plan. Are we inviting people to life in Christ when we haven't experienced it in a significant way for ourselves? Friends, I want to invite you today Maybe you had an experience of that somewhere in your past, but you feel like you've been muddling along for a while. I invite you to pray to God today that he might reveal what true life in Christ is to you, that we might receive that, that we might follow Jesus more closely in our lives, and that we might invite others to join us on the path as well. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for your gracious invitation, your gracious invitation to come to you. And so we do that right now, Lord. We come to you, each of us coming with our own joys and pains in life, our own struggles, our own triumphs, our own misgivings, our own doubts, our own fears, our own beliefs. We come to you with all of that, God. And we pray for you to transform us because of the life you give in Christ. Lord, for everyone here today, I pray a, a renewed blessing of your Holy Spirit that brings that life-giving blessing to us. For the one who needs to receive from you, God, would you give to them? From the one who needs to be healed by you, God, would you heal that one body, mind, and soul? For the one who feels destroyed, Lord, would you show them your new creation in Christ? And may we join you in your work, our Father in heaven. 
the one who has created and loved us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us for this week's message from Pastor Owen. If you'd like to find out more about our church or view a video of the full service, visit our website at westminstercharlotte.org. We look forward to seeing you soon.